you know what, Ted, I listened to um, um, some Jeff Beck yesterday after you said that. And of course, I don't think there's anybody in our era that didn't listen to Jeff Beck or the Yardbirds. I mean, he was uh, sensational. And the one thing that I did notice uh, just to draw back on the music is there is a lot of commonality between guys like you and Chuck Berry and Jeff Beck and even Eddie Van Halen, for that matter, um, in some of the patterns and riffs and just kind of the way it hits your soul. You know, do you agree with that? Yeah. You know, when the electric guitar was finally created by Les Paul, and I think uh, uh, there was a couple other experimenters back there in the uh, Lewis and Clark's Northwest Passage of uh, electrifying this wonderful background strumming instrument. It was really astonishing the velocity with which they went from a background acoustic instrument to an electric, soaring, fiery, dynamic tonality that Leo Fender with his Fender amplifiers and, and Marshall with Jim Marshall with his Marshall amplifiers and how Lonnie Mack and Dwayne Eddy and the Ventures and the Beach Boys and certainly all inspired by Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley, how they immediately were able to create music on a brand new, unprecedented electric instrument. Yeah. And what Jeff Beck and Eddie Van Halen and Brian May and Billy Gibbons and all the guitar players that we love. And I got to mention Tommy Shaw and Dave Amato and Derek St. Holmes and Rick Emmett of, of uh, uh, Triumph up in Canada. So many unbelievable guitar players that continue to look for that un unauthorized, uncharted <laughs> statement. But it all does come from, if I may, it all does come from the black blues artists that were so emotional. Just simple things like. That emotion that men thought they could own another man hmm. and did the ultimate dehumanizing crime of slavery. The victims of that evil curse were so emotionally distraught that they expressed themselves powerfully hmm. because their emotion was so real. And then once with the Emancipation Proclamation, finally, we, we put the, the evil slavery in our vapor trail in our history. And then Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley got uppity and celebrated that freedom. Nobody did better than Little Richard. But the guitar was a, a such an expressive instrument. And when you hear, and again, it doesn't matter who you hear uh, or what style of music, though the most powerful is the rock and roll because it's so blues-based because that emotion touched us young guitar aficionados. We wanted to be that Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, bluesy, BB King, Freddie King, Albert King. We wanted to express that. So I don't care how flurious Eddie Van Halen got, or how grinding and grunting Billy Gibbons got, or how uppity and fiery Ted Nugent might have got, and so many others. It was based on how that black escape from slavery touched us. And Jeff Beck and all those British invaders, remember the first Stones and Beatles albums, all had Motown songs, Chuck Berry songs, and Bo Diddley songs. Wow. So we we were, we didn't, the baton wasn't passed to us. We, we had a hand on the baton of blues, but B.B. King still had a hold of it. 
I got to jam with B.B. King, Keith. That's why I'm like this. I was touched by the master of soulful guitar expression. So that music still touches us deeply all these many years later. In fact, I want to thank everybody for making my, I don't know if this is my 50th album or whatever, but Detroit Muscle in 2022, people raved about it, rightly so, because Greg and Jason and I put our heart and soul into every song, and it still reeks of that Motown black funk brother soulfulness. You can still hear Chuck Berry. And in all the Jeff Beck lips and all your favorite guitar players licks, they have their own identity and their own expression. But you listen closely and there's Chuck and there's Bo Diddley and there's Lonnie Mack and there's Dwayne Eddy. But we all express it in our own way. The, the guitar is the most expressive instrument because we can bend semitones we can work our way to the note or like the journey to the center of the mind guitar solo from a 17 year old experimenter on guitar. It's an almost note. It's reaching for the A note, but it never quite gets there. Mm. And that's very emotional. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm glad we revisited some of that music, but before I let you go today, Ted, I do want to talk about two things, both anti-hunting at its core Unelected bureaucrats in North Dakota have banned deer baiting in certain areas of the state, and we're fighting a change in opening day in Pennsylvania. Just like to get your brief take on both of those. My brief take is pretty simple. I genuflect at the altar of God's miraculous biology and science. I've repeated it so many times that I've been bombarded with wonderful responses for the last 50 plus years, Keith, when I explained during a rock and roll interview that you have to hunt. It's a moral obligation. It's a scientific essentiality because the animals will reproduce next spring, but the ground won't. More habitat will not be produced, but more animals will be produced. It's called sustained yield. What will this geography, what will this habitat support? You must harvest the surplus that grows every spring and summer before the dead of winter when that habitat is extremely marginalized, if not gone, to make sure that the animals don't suffer a prolonged starvation and exploding disease because of inefficient, irresponsible management. The bait. Let me, everybody take a deep breath. I got buddies that don't use bait. Well, I don't hunt over corn. I rattle. I rattle my antlers and try to bring them in. I don't have a Webster's Dictionary handy, but let me share with you. What is rattling? It's an attractant. It's audio bait. Anybody want to debate me on that? Bring it on. The food plot industry is billions of dollars. Why are we planting food plot? Well, obviously, to help maximize the sustenance for all wildlife, including endangered species and songbirds and non-game animals, but game animals. When you plant a food plot and position it in such a way to advantage your tree stand, you're hunting over bait. Bait has been proven to optimize the excitement of a weekend warrior might be only get out one or two days a year. And we need to kill that deer. The ag needs us to kill the deer. The highway department needs us to kill that deer. The the insurance industry needs us to kill that deer. The, The manicured lawn people need us to kill that deer. We were more than happy to do so. And when they banned baiting, it happened in Michigan. They banned baiting. And guess what we saw? Feeders with 
USDA on them where the government was killing the surplus that we inadequately harvested using the bait that we were not allowed to use. It's unbelievable. It's almost like the government going, oh, you know, you can't breed your wife anymore, but we're going to take your tax dollars. We'll hire this guy to do it. I don't think so. I'll punch you in the throat. My point being is that baiting in North Dakota has been a proven choice. If you don't want to bait, here's a good idea. Don't. But the guy that wants to enhance, maybe a new young hunter. I've seen it so many times. If the young hunter doesn't see any game, they're going to go back to the zombie thing or the mall or whatever they do to destroy their lives. But if they see more animals, which is enhanced by the use of bait, now we're recruiting and we're retaining family hours of recreation, maximum revenues generated for wildlife conservation. And once again, we don't manage habitat to just grow targets. We manage habitat to produce everybody's clean air, soil, and water. And that brings me to Pennsylvania, the worst day in the year. And there's a bunch of people that will argue with me. And I've been on the phone with a bunch of them recently because I care. And make a note, everybody, you know, it's more than likely I will never hunt North Dakota. And I will never have to bait in North Dakota. And it's highly unlikely I will ever spend an opening day in Pennsylvania. But I'm bombarded from families who say they can't hunt on the opening day on Monday because after Thanksgiving, because they got to go back to work and school. My battle cry is to optimize the opportunities for maximum family hours of outdoor recreation now more than ever for the healing powers of nature, especially as a participant. And the maximum revenues of generating revenues for licenses, fees, permits, sporting goods, food, lodging, hotels, gas, uh, farm equipment, food plots, land, taxes, cabins. I mean, my God, it's gazillions and gazillions of dollars. And here it is in a nutshell, Keith. Pennsylvania used to have a million deer hunters. It's cut in half. Michigan used to have a million deer hunters. It's cut in half. Wisconsin used to have a million deer hunters. It's cut in half because unelected bureaucrats are arbitrarily coming up with anti-science game regulations that and that that encumber. Is that a word? Yes. That encumber the access to opening day or the or the wildlife management. So my friends in Pennsylvania, please I don't guy said to me on the phone, what is none of your business, Ted? You're not from Pennsylvania. Keith, I work in all 50 states. I'm contacted by every Canadian province. I worked with France and Spain trying to legalize bow hunting because they wouldn't allow bow hunting. Maybe they never heard of Cochise or Robin Hood or Fred Bear. So we were able to enhance wildlife opportunities so that there is more and more participation. Again, family hours of recreation, revenues generated, and keeping wildlife valuable in the asset column. That's all I want. And I hope that becomes policy. You don't need to ban baiting because where you do, it it causes attrition and your tax dollars will hire some bureaucrat to shoot deer over bait. (laughs) It's unbelievable. So North Dakota, Colorado, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Let's get cracking and let's do what we did in Michigan, where we we passed a law that all wildlife policy has to be based on sound science, not some anti-hunting animal rights, selfish bureaucrat who wouldn't know a morning dove from a pterodactyl. 
You know what, Ted? Uh, great points. And I would just encourage all of the Nightly Nuge listeners to please go to HunterNation.org. Hunter Nation is leading these fights. You know, Ted and I were testifying in multiple states on, on a lot of these policy issues, including North Dakota. So please go to HunterNation.org. Don't just check out the website. We need you. We need your membership. If you got some extra coin to donate, please, HunterNation.org. We need you. Ted, great week. Look forward to hearing uh, this conversation next week on the COVID topic. I think it's going to be very enlightening to our listeners. Um, lots of stories to tell and lots of information to provide. See you next week, buddy. Yeah, God bless the nightly nugents out there. Remember, you can go to tednugent.com and you can get the battle cry to wave your freak flag high and proud. God bless you, Keith. Have a great weekend. I'll kill a deer for you. Mm-hmm.